We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. All right. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast on Locker Room. You might be on the Locker Room app right now and thinking, why is Dan's voice that raspy, uh, nasally, according to some, that's fine, I'll take it, voice coming from Nick's body because I am hanging out with Nick today and we are talking and doing the Locker Room from one app, from his phone. Because last time we did Locker Room, this past week, my phone was giving issues. Nobody could hear me. There's all sorts of crap going on. But you know what? We fight through it. We adjust. I need to buy a new phone. For any of you who know, I guess I don't need any tips on it. I just need somebody to walk me through the logic behind spending $1,400 or whatever the heck it costs to buy a new iPhone. I'm seriously considering ditching Apple and going to one of these cheaper ones like Google or whatnot. I, I don't know, man. I don't want to spend 1400 on a phone. I feel like when I spent my big money on my MacBook, I'm getting a ton of good value out of it. Computers are like the same price as these phones, these little stupid phones. And so I don't know, but I need to, especially if we're going to do locker rooms. But today we're going to cut out all that talk and we're going to instead discuss a lot of what's going on right now at Giants training camp. So Nick, let's kick things off by talking about yet another Giants player who said, I'm done with this Joe Judge training camp, and I'm retiring. Zach Fulton, the second interior offensive lineman. That's the big issue here. Joe Looney retired. Zach Fulton retired. Calvin Benjamin retired. And Todd Davis retired a few days into Joe Judge's training camp. Now, this one hurts because the Giants already have a Lemieux injury at left guard. Will Hernandez is trying to learn right guard. There was a not-so-great clip of him just getting thrown to the ground by Danny Shelton. That one didn't strike all sorts of uh, confidence in me with regards to Hernandez, but I remain optimistic about him. And then that's kind of it. I mean, look, Kenny Wiggins there. Everybody's like, oh, well, Kenny Wiggins stepped in. Anyway, Kenny Wiggins is not someone you need to be relying on and want to be relying on in a NFL football game. And I don't think Murphy, Kyle Murphy is somebody you're going to be relying on either. These are two guys who could be even bigger liabilities than Shane Lemieux was last season. So I'm definitely worried about the depth. Let's talk about the depth here. Let's talk about Fulton's retirement. I know Joe Judge had a quote about it. Nick, dive into both of those things. Yeah, the depth is something that we were concerned about before all of these retirements happened. And I mean, there's there's a narrative building around Joe Judge that the reason all these individuals ended up retiring is because of how hard his camp is. I, 
I mean, there could be some validity to that, but I'm not going to just assign that either. At the same time, there could be other factors. I mean, I know Arch Stapleton has talked about both Zach Fulton and Joe Looney. He gets the indication that the reason they're retiring is because their bodies aren't going to physically hold up, which is something I kind of wanted to clear up a little bit, or at least just acknowledge that Art does an excellent job. I mean, we have Looney's going to be 31 this month. Fulton's going to be 30 next month. And the last year of their film wasn't exactly, I would say, amazing. I I was hopeful for Joe Looney, to be honest. And I thought he could earn a roster spot, possibly even find playing time if Shane Lemieux was out. But now they're out two interior offensive linemen, man. And that's that's something that's going to be a pretty big problem for the Giants if something were to happen to... You were having some audio difficulties here. If something were to happen to any of these offensive linemen right now, it's uh, it's concerning. And we were concerned heading before this, but Joe Judge talked about it. And he said he had a good conversation with Fulton. And here's a quote from Coach Judge. Zach was doing a good job for us. He's a guy that I didn't want to see go. However, I respect his decision. I'll let him speak completely for himself. I would say that a lot of these older vets, they're at a different point in their life with different things. Zach's a guy that started a business in the offseason. He just had his son. His family is down in Texas. This is an opportunity for him to get back to that. And then he also went on to say, we talked a lot about just the duration of career and different things without going into everything. Look, he indicated to us, hey, listen, come out of where he was last year. Your body's in a different point than when you're younger. You get to the point to see, do I think I have it for 16 games? Now it would be 17. And Fulton just, I felt like the same way as Joe Looney, this is me talking now, Nick, they just didn't have that. Yeah, I, I'm going to, we'll touch on this first, then we'll touch on the depth situation, which is the bigger concern. This is more conjecture, I think, at this point. But as far as why he retired, why all these guys continue to retire, I'm hesitant to just buy into coach speak because I think that Joe Judge is going to have to say this no matter what. When I read that quote, it's almost like Zach Fulton is like, I don't want to grind my body through this right now. And instead, I'm just going to go back home and spend time and work on a business. Because it was only a short few months ago that Zach Fulton signed a contract with the Giants. His intentions at that time were to play football with the Giants. They must have met with him. They must have said, look, we have two guards that one is a work in progress in Shane Lemieux and may never get there. He's a fifth-round pick. I'm not saying they said that in those terms, but look, they said this depth chart is wide open on the interior. You could be playing football this season as a starter, reinventing yourself, washing away that bad 2020 season that you put on film and making it look more like 2019, 2018 when Fulton had some good snaps. There's no way in my mind that he was on the fence when he signed that contract. Now, just two months later, he all of a sudden wants to go home He thinks his body can't make it through this and he wants to work on his business at home. I think part of that is definitely because he doesn't want to put his body through this kind of training camp where they're running laps. If they get into fights where they're doing suicides and things of that nature, and they're grinding through these day after day after day. I mean, there's gotta be some validity to that. When this amount of people retire, the giants and the Raiders are the two teams that have had this situation though the Raiders have had it with older players. Zach Fulton is a total shock to me. The Looney one, I think I was crediting more to, look, this guy's body's breaking down. The Fulton one, no. He signed that contract. He was going to want to play. This is something else going on here with this, with Fulton at least. And maybe he just felt like, you know, this isn't worth it to me. I'm competing for a backup spot most likely. And uh, yeah, there's some money on the line, but at the same time, I might be able to make a little bit of money doing my own business at home. And I don't have to put myself through these ridiculous days to potentially be a backup and not even play. Yeah, very well could be that. Very it could be. Who knows? 
And I think that it's wrong of Giants fans and us, if we were to do it, or any analyst they were to do it, to completely dismiss the slew of players John, from Jeff Allen, who played a, had a nice career with the Chiefs and was apparently close with Zach Fulton. They played together with, on the Chiefs, so that could be part. And all the other players who have come out, even Jeff Schwartz, who I know a lot of Giants fans hate, even Jeff Schwartz, who have come – and that's not just him. It's like four players have come out and been like, this doesn't work outside of New England. This is toxic, and I'm not saying I agree with them at all. I kind of like Joe Judge's style. I think you should put these guys through the ringer, and I think you should weed out the guys who don't want to play this style because – those are not the guys that ultimately are going to win championships. Those aren't the guys who are on Tom Coughlin's two rosters that won championships. Tom Coughlin had rosters of these types of guys that Joe Judge wants. They're going to buy into it and go all in. But at the same time, it's stupid to just dismiss what they're saying yeah. and be like, no, it's all, they're not right. These guys play football. None of you did. We didn't We didn't play professional football. Like These guys actually were there. They know what's going on in these training camps. And just because Sterling Shepard has that awesome team first quote, which is partially because Sterling Shepard is a team-first guy, doesn't mean these other guys' concerns are completely invalid. And Zach Fulton may have shared some of these concerns. He may have shared them with Jeff Allen, who he used to play with, who was his friend, who then came out and said the things that he said. So to me, I don't want to totally dismiss it, but I also think, you know, I'm kind of fine with it. If they're going to weed out some of these guys, I'm fine with it. With the exception of the fact that, let's get to the next point, and the most important point, the depth is now in a dire situation on this interior dire. offensive line. This is ridiculously bad. They're in August now, and they, they're a month away from the start of the regular season. Four weeks, and their interior offensive line consists of Will Hernandez, Shane Lemieux, a fifth-round pick, who was the worst pass-protecting guard in the NFL last season. If you're not a Giants fan, you're not just buying into the bias. And then guys like Kenny Wiggins and Kyle like these are not guys that are likely to ever play snaps in the NFL or likely to should ever play snaps in the NFL. And they may be playing snaps. If Lemieux gets hurt again or that injury re-pops up, they're playing snaps as of right now. If Hernandez sucks at right guard, they're playing snaps as of right now. And so this is partially like it's been swept under the rug. But four years ago, Dave Gettleman said, the first thing I want to do is fix this offensive line. And he has not done that at all. This offensive line is likely to be one of the worst in the NFL this year. Even if Matt Parrott takes a big jump and Andrew Thomas takes a big jump, it's unlikely that Will Hernandez and Shane Lemieux are going to be that good this year. And again, you have to remember last year, Dan, that offensive line was healthy, man. I mean, you had two of them end up right. getting COVID and, you know, there could have been, you know, longer lasting effects on both those guys, but nobody suffered season ending injuries or anything like that. Now, if you chalk up one of those like a season-ending injury to one of these guys what is this roster going to do they're definitely going to be in the market for anybody post 90 uh man cuts they're definitely going to be looking yes. to add interior offensive line help and I, I don't know what kind of player they're going to be able to bring in who can quickly familiarize themselves with this system and then possibly be available if something were to happen to will hernandez nick gates or shane lemieux but they have to be they have to go out there and find somebody yeah, Austin Ryder is the first one that comes to mind. Yes. The reader or writer, I'm not sure. But however you pronounce that last name, they worked him out earlier. He has center and guard experience. He should be on their short list. He should be coming in right now as a replacement for Fulton and Looney. That's the top of the priority. I don't think there's going to be too many more. Like This isn't a situation like last year where they found Logan Ryan late. That's a different position. You can find a tweener safety corner like that who's asking for $10 million a year, $7.5 million a year late. You don't find those guys on the offensive line. Teams that have offensive linemen do not get rid of offensive linemen. There's a shortage of offensive linemen in the NFL right now, basically, a quality ones who can play. And so it's not going to be a situation like that where they're going to upgrade here, but they do need depth. It's a dire need at this point. Like you said, 
everything we've discussed is just how the offensive line looks without any injuries. With injuries, we could be looking at the worst offense, uh, an offensive line that prevents you from winning any games whatsoever, as that could be that bad. And I mean, I hope it doesn't happen. I know somebody tweeted this. I think it was Giants fan in Connecticut or in Charlotte. Sorry, I always get that wrong. Who tweeted out a picture of Nate Solder. And he's like, does this look like an offensive tackle body to you? And I looked at that picture and I was like, damn, man, this guy has lost a lot of his frame. Like he re his frame looks very different than what it was. I do not feel confident with Nate Solder either. If there was an injury to Parrot, if that back flares up, or if Thomas goes through another injury, Thomas, they're managing his reps after the offseason ankle surgery. Either of those guys get injured. I'm not feeling comfortable either. And that's a totally separate issue too. Right. That's the tackles. Like, like, think about it. Like, we're really concerned about the interior offensive line, rightfully so. The tackles, you have two second-year players, one who was wildly inconsistent and then stabilized towards the end of the season. I feel like we're both hopeful for Andrew Thomas. And then one that, you know, is a big question mark right now, has a lot of raw traits that are intriguing, but a, to we haven't seen him play consistently quite yet. And obviously, that has to happen first. It's it's not something that we can just say, oh, he can or he can't. But it's something to bank on 100%. And then no. the backup is Nate Solder. I mean, that's, oh, man. That's, and the thing with that is like this. Like, we've all been here listening to the narratives, reading the news, reading about the player, watching some of the flash reps that Matt Parrott has put together on film, in practice, whether it will be. And that's all good in nature. And that's kind of why we're so excited for him. We're all as a fan base and us included hopeful for him. But if you look at history and judge and take out all of that conjecture and take out all of what some might consider, at least in the statistical world, they probably would consider to be bias. And you just looked at the raw numbers of offensive tackles who have made an impact in the second year of football, especially those who only played a threshold of snaps that he played in his rookie season that were taken pick 90 and later. I guess, I mean, I don't have these numbers in front of me, but I'd be willing to put a heavy wager that the percentages are incredibly low of those players hitting. Now, we both have confidence. We think Parrot will hit. But again, we're kind of just basing this on our own narratives and just kind of how we feel about the player, not necessarily basing this on history of players of offensive tackle selected, pick 75, pick 90, whatever you want to put the threshold on later in year two of their careers. And yet, if he doesn't work, now you're turning to Nate Solder, who took a year off from football, whose frame looks a little slint, uh, slight to me, who wasn't looking good his last year in football anyway, who potentially doesn't have the same bend he used to have that made him the player he was because he's never a drive blocker. So it's starting to really concern me, unfortunately. I, I, I just hate that we're in year four of this regime and the offensive line is still an issue. It's just, I'm not saying I blame Gettleman and the regime for that, but I'm not saying I don't either. And it's just like, it's amazing to me that some teams have been able to fix this faster than others. The Browns are just a crazy example with the offensive line, but it comes down to hitting. I mean, when you go Will Hernandez over Braden Smith, that's a miss. When you go Andrew Thomas over Werfs, that's not a miss yet, but could it's, it could be a miss. Could be. And I don't think that Thomas will ever reach Werfs level. I mean, Werfs should have been offensive rookie of the year last season. He was so good. And I know some people are like, but he plays with Brady, gets rid of the football quickly. No, no, no. Watch the individual reps, talk to the people who evaluate offensive line play, and they'll say he was the rookie of the year. So it's just a matter of you got to hit on these guys when you take them. And hopefully these guys can progress. They still have a lot of young talent, like you said. If they can get lucky with them staying healthy, maybe they find an Austin Reader, Ryder, however you pronounce that name. Things can be okay, I, I guess. But this offensive line just doesn't look to me like any kind of offensive. This is like, if I asked you what position group has the least chance of breaking into the top 10, for the Giants, it would 
have to be the offensive line, right? Yeah, I wouldn't even know what other one to Besides go. maybe quarterback, it would have to be the offensive line. And, yeah, that's also a problem. Like, I think Daniel Jones can take steps forward, but there, there are a lot of good quarterbacks in the it's, yeah, it yeah. seems so, unlikely he's going to break into the top 10. Top, I mean, and again, that's not even – he could progress, you know, <laughs> what, like fivefold. He could progress yeah. so much and still not break into the top 10 because right. the top 10 quarterbacks in the league are, are loaded. Are yeah, loaded. and there's a lot yeah. of young talent too. Exactly, who could really break into that top 10. And then we have another quote from Todd Davis about his retirement. He talked to Mike Kliss, who is a Denver Broncos, uh, Denver Broncos beat reporter. Davis said, you know, it was great with the New York Giants. I feel like they have a great coaching staff. There's a lot of coaches there who care about their players doing well, so I expect them to do well. So it doesn't sound like – like Kelvin Benjamin, that, that was the one disgruntled departure. And like Dan and I said kind of earlier, we're not really 100% certain why the other three players ended up leaving, but it doesn't seem like it was anything like what happened with Calvin Benjamin, who has been petulant before in the past. Yeah. And I think that's fair. And then, you know, similar thing with what Stapleton said about Fulton. I think you can give credit to, excuse me, that one, especially with Davis, because he said it to a Broncos reporter. It wasn't like, you know, that's not a Giants reporter. He's not trying to politic at all or anything. And listen, I think all these guys have individual reasons for retiring. I'm not I'm not as concerned about that overall as I'm concerned about the depth. Like you want to weed out these, these guys, not these guys, like these guys are older vets. Like I, I'm not saying these aren't the guys who are yeah. going to be team first guys, but. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There are guys who said my body's not ready for this kind of training camp right now to be a backup or to be a depth guy or to maybe not even make the roster. So, all right, let's get to some other topics from practice and past few days and just everything of that nature. Ian Rappaport said on Good Morning Football that there's no tame time timetable for Saquon Barkley, and he expects to see him by week three, but there, but he could be there week one, but there's no rush. Anything to make of that? I mean, a lot of people are reading into it. And in the fantasy community, I'm sure that his ADP is probably going to drop a little bit because, you know, people are still looking at Austin Eckler and Aaron Jones and maybe move those guys above him. But that's a fantasy conversation. I'm still hoping that he's going to be there week one. I'm still optimistic that he'll be there week one. But Giants are a very conservative type of organization, like we've said the last several podcasts. So we're going to take it one day at a time, according to a lot of the beats that have their feet out there. You know, he's running around a little bit and sprinting. So that's obviously a very, very good sign that he might be healthy for week one. Ultimately, I think what I said a couple months ago is going to be what's going to happen. He should be available by week one, but he's probably going to split or be in like a limit, a much more limited role than what we'll see by week three, week five, what have you. 
Yeah, I'm going to still stick to my original guess that he'll be there for week one with a near full workload. I think maybe week one is actually the only week you'll see like him take a few more snaps off on third downs, him take a few more series, uh, one or two more series off. But I'm still sticking with my guess because honestly, I do really believe that Saquon Barkley will be fine for the season. And they're just cautiously playing it. All these reports to me are coming from outside sources. Ian Rappaport to me is not, in my mind, does not have an inside scoop with the Giants medical staff. And I don't think the Giants medical staff is releasing information on Barkley. I think Barkley's team wants to keep it coy to him too, like his agents and everything like that, Rock Nation. Like they don't want to just be releasing information on his, on how his health is. I think it's just, listen, he's gone. He's easing back into him because there's no point to rush him through training camp right now. He didn't, we don't need Saquon Barkley doing wind sprints in the end zone and having to run laps. <laughs> like that's the last thing we need right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you nailed it there. And we have a, the Jason Garrett press conference, which I feel like there were some things to take away from that. But then there was also the, uh, the coach comment, which I felt like was just said just personally. I don't really think there was uh, I think a lot of people kind of blew it up a little bit more than what it actually was. Do you have any takeaways on that? Yeah, I could care less if he's the coach thing. I think it was said in just as well. I did quote tweet Pat Leonard, who was offended by the, the coach thing, it seemed like, and Matt Lombard, whatever it may be. But not to make the point of saying, I'm also offended, blah, blah, blah. I did it to make the point of the joke. I was like, this is the type of BS that Garrett shouldn't be focusing on. That I said, which whatever. But I said, just let's instead fo- instead focus on the things you need to be focusing on, right? The things that didn't work last season with regards to your system. And are you willing to make drastic changes that are necessary to catch your system up to what is being played in 2021? Like what we saw on film last year was not something you should be seeing in 2020. It was something that you should be seeing from his Dallas offense in the 2010s. And that's just one issue with his offense. The fill- the overall issue is the philosophy, his idea. And, you know, we had Mark Schofield on breaking down Daniel Jones. Catch that episode. It's an unbelievable can't-miss episode. It's Mark Schofield who watches more film on quarterbacks than anyone I know breaking down Jones on film. But what he said was, John- according to Sports Info Solutions, where he got the stats from, the Giants ran the most on-schedule plays of any offense in the NFL last year. On-schedule means the le- the opposite of going for an explosive play. On-schedule means trying to get yourself into a manageable second and third down situation. And that's his whole philosophy, right? Get 10 yards in three plays, keep getting set, string together six to seven first downs, and then when you're in the red zone, cash in. That's a losing philosophy. Losing coaches have that philosophy. It doesn't work in today's NFL. Today's NFL, the defenses are too good in the red zone. You get down there, get bogged down. It's a short field advantage defense. What you want is explosive plays. And the Giants called the fewest of those, according to those sports and both solutions. So that's where my gripe is. And my gripe comes more even from the second quote that didn't get as much attention from Garrett yesterday, which is when Patty Trainer. Good job, Patrina. Oh, I wish, more, I wish yeah. more beat reporters would ask these types of questions that actually matter to the team and to the fans, which he asked about pre-snap motion. Why weren't you using it last year? And Garrett, the way he answered that question, that's where I had my issue with Garrett. It's not about the call me coach thing. I could care less about that. It's the way he answered it because I listened to that. I saw his full quote was different than the one she tweeted out and it, was, it made him look better. Because he said, like, listen, we, you know, it's a, he said it's a big part of what we do, which is a bold face lie. Because last year, the Giants were 22nd in, in pre-snap motion, according to the numbers. Seth Walder from ESPN, hat tip to you. So that's a lie. It was not a big part of what they did last year, despite what he says. But he then caveated by saying, you know, 
We're using tempo sometimes. And when you use tempo, you can't use pre-snap motion, which by the way, I don't even know if that's true. You can get to the line. You can get to the line of scrimmage fast and then use pre-snap motion. I don't really think that even applies too much. I guess if you're just saying like the no huddle stuff, but I think more of that was just, they got to the line and then Jones looked around, he checked it out. He made some them differences. So once you get into that whole slowdown process, you can start to use some motion just before the snap. You bring in a fake jet sweep, a jet sweep action. I mean, there's plenty of ways to do it. Just look at what Andy Reid does, but you know, to me, it seems like based on his comments, and this is where my issue with Garrett comes, and I'll, and I'll turn it over to you now after this. I just feel like he sounds like a guy who doesn't think anything went wrong last year, who doesn't think there's anything wrong with the system, but instead just thinks my offensive line sucked. I didn't have a full offseason. Daniel Jones was learning it for the first time. And now with the second year in this exact same plan will be much better. And that's just not right because it's just – it. <laughs> The film doesn't say that. But really what it shows is a guy who had rap, bad, poor route combinations, poor situational play, and poor situational play calling. There's a lot to take away from, I feel like, that Jason Garrett press conference. And I, that was an excellent question by uh, Patty over there about the pre-snap motion. And I have uh, Garrett's quote, and I'll read it right now. And he basically said, yeah, motion is, obviously, if you followed our offense last year, a big part of what we've done. Last year, we ran a lot more of the no huddle stuff around the line of scrimmage where you don't run as much motion. We were using tempo. Sometimes we went fast. Sometimes we went slow. We weren't in the huddle as much last year. I don't know if you guys can see that on TV, but that was one of the things that we did. Motion and shifting and movement, all that stuff has been a big part of what we've done in the past. And if we feel like it applies to a particular game plan, we'll certainly use it. And it it seemed like to me when he was like answering it, it was like, obviously, you know, if you follow, there's a little bit of arrogance there. Like I've definitely played, you know, I know what I'm talking about here. I don't know if you guys know what you're seeing, but I do feel like, and I wrote about this on Big Blue View, you can use more creative type of motions to help. And this is all happening pre-snap because yes, I think, Jason Garrett, now he didn't say this, but it's definitely at least implied. The, the offensive line sucked last year, and you had to call a game plan that wasn't going to make your offensive line get your quarterback killed. So it's a little bit difficult from that standpoint, absolutely, for, for Jason Garrett. And I feel like there were times where Jason Garrett actually did a really good job doing that. But still, even when you're not in up-tempo, you could still – or even when you are in up-tempo sometimes, you could still use certain motions to help try and get more explosive plays. Because when you motion players, it's going to lead to secondary mistakes and possible blown coverage, especially if the secondary doesn't have that much continuity. If you use stuff like orbit motion and things along that nature, and that doesn't really have much to do with the offensive line because that's all happening pre-snap. And if you do use certain types of motions and get an advantage and you can, Daniel Jones can get the ball quickly, read what the defense is doing, and then release the football, you're talking about quick game, use motion to help your quick game out. And I feel like those things could necessarily happen. And it didn't happen enough last year with Jason Garrett. But I, I do feel like I – don't, I don't know how much Jason Garrett is just going to go in with the same exact game plan that he had last year. He actually mentioned – he's like, we're not going to – I watched a bunch of film on a bunch of other offenses around the NFL. We're not going to change the DNA is what he said. We may not change the DNA of our offense, but we've still like taken a lot from – Uh, other offenses that we've seen around the NFL. And I just hope that he implements a lot of those things. And you have to imagine he would, dude, because – and he was asked about this too, because your team selected Gadarius Toney, who's someone who should thrive in that type of role around the line of scrimmage, using motion, jet sweeps, all of those types of things. And the Giants used some jet sweeps and stuff like that. I'm not saying they didn't, but you would have to imagine there had to be a little bit more creativity there. And somebody asked that question, actually use the word creative. Like, is your offense creative enough for a player like Kadarius Tony? Which I was like, oof, that's a, that's a bold question right there that I love. 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I probably would have found a different way to frame it. I don't know. I, I read this quote and it's like, well, well, if we feel like it applies to a particular game plan, we'll use it. Well, no, this should be a part of the, the good, like Dandy Reed makes us a part of his offense. It's not game plan specific. It's a part of this offense because it gives you a specific advantage. It gets the deep, the, the key thing for me with all this pre-snap motion, when you have guys like Tony and Barkley on the field at the same time, is it gets the defensive eyes moving in, in different directions that may not be where the ball is going. And once you get those eyes moving in that direction and their feet moving in that direction and taking false steps, that's how you gain a quick edge that you need to make a play after the catch. And that's how you create these explosive plays that we're looking for. And I wish someone asked him more about his route combinations because that's that's the stuff that really bothers me with Garrett. The preset motion could help this offense, but in reality, he needs to stop trying to you know create sets of plays that are designed to get ten yards in three plays because that's ultimately what held this offense back the most last year. It's a game of inches, and all you need is just a slight slight movement of the second level defender to the wrong direction. Right. To- overcompensate for the fact that he sees someone pre-snap motioning and that can be enough to allow the play side to have just a little bit more space for the blocker to climb to the second level and pick up that defender and that can lead to an explosive running play or even an explosive passing type of play depending on what you are doing and it also helps Daniel Jones too if you can try to help him or use motion to help him decipher what the defense is doing that's another huge part of using motion I mean using motion pre-snap is is just a smart thing to do in the NFL. Yeah. Jason Garrett's a smart guy. I'm, you know, we're not saying that he's not at all, but his offense just didn't incorporate it enough in 2020. Now, will that change in 2021 if the offensive line progresses since he has all these other weapons? Are we still going to see heavier personnel packages that might limit motion a little bit? You know, that kind of remains to be seen. You would imagine that there would be more 11 personnel with the upgrades the Giants made. Let's hope we see that. Let's hope we see more pre-snap motion. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Um, yeah. We'll just have to wait and see with Garrett. Hopefully he makes some changes that are needed. What else is next, Nick? Yeah, so just because we touched on Kadarius, Tony, it seems like he's slowly being worked back into the uh, back into the mix with everything. He's at training camp, and it seems like Coach Joe Judge is doing a lot of special team drills with him and Dory Jackson. It makes me think, man, because the Giants special teams is, is very interesting. You obviously have Joe Judge, who was a special teams coach. You still have Tom Quinn, and you still have Thomas McGahee. And it's like, that's a lot of special teams excellence right there. Who's going to be the punt returner, though? Who's going to be the kick returner? I'm really curious. It seemed like the Giants really liked having a conservative kick returner last year. Deion Lewis, somebody who was supposed to not fumble the football, even though he did it a couple times, really pissing me off because he's not really an explosive type of guy who's going to, you know, create explosive plays on special teams. And then they use Jabril Peppers a lot as their punt returner, somebody who can, you know, change field position. Now that you add Kadarius Tony, Adoree Jackson, two players who have that experience. Adoree Jackson was excellent at USC as a kick returner. I'm wondering who is going to actually earn that role. Do you think anybody has like a um, – do you think they will be – not forced, but do you think they believe that if they can't find a way to get Kadarius Tony on the field early with the offense, that they'll just put him out there to be that kick returner? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm not really sure what they're going to do yet with the special teams. Um, that's obviously – something we'll have to just keep monitoring throughout camp. As far as the punt returner goes, I mean, I feel like their highest upside is probably Tony back there, just from what I've seen. But they get they view it so, I mean, like, listen, the way that McGee talks about it, it's like, yeah, I want to see what I like what these guys can do after the catch when they're returning punts and fielding punts. But mostly there's so many other little things that you got to get done. There's little fundamentals about being a returner that are more important. And I respect that because he's a great special teams coach. So, I think it, he might not have a leg up for that reason. 
ultimately. Maybe somebody like Adori has a leg up. I'm not exactly sure, though, where they're going to go with that. It still seems to be so open-ended. It does. It definitely does. And um, it's good to though, see Kadarius Tony just there and Taz doing his thing right now. And we also have a little bit of hype surrounding Julian Love, the former Golden Domer, who is getting work as the number one nickel corner for consecutive practices now, according to a lot of the beat reporters. Is this, do you think this is a product of just not having Robinson on the field and what's going on with Darnay Holmes? Or do you think Julian Love could actually really find himself out of the field because he does have that versatile skill set and you could do so many different things with somebody who can line up as an overhang and then drop to a deep half, which we've seen Patrick Graham use those types of coverages. You can use them in trap coverages. You can do a lot with a player like Julian Love. He might not be great at any one thing, but I would say that he's solid to good at a lot of different things. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think what we're seeing here is a situation where a player who's worked his tail off to become better at the NFL level in a variety of roles, they've asked him to do so many different things is honestly at a point from a mental processing standpoint where they trust him to just step into a role he hasn't played much in this nickel spot and help them because, like you said, there's a lot of diverse coverages that Patrick Graham wants to use where that nickel is going to be asked to do different things from a mental processing standpoint that they feel comfortable with love maybe over someone like Holmes. Obviously, Robinson's injured, but maybe over somebody like Holmes, they feel more comfortable if they're going to do these different kind of coverages, diverse coverages, ask these nickels to do different things. They feel comfortable with love there. And I think this is a guy who's proven like he's mastered the defense in their minds to the fact where they're, they're literally asking him to play a third role essentially in, in, in two years. I mean, this is not what he did a lot of last season. So it's interesting. It's something to keep an eye on. I don't think anyone was expecting love to start the season as the number one nickel corner, but it's definitely now in play. If he's starting to get actual first team reps at that spot. And I think they're also mixing and matching the first team. So it's a little bit loose right now because I know Darius Williams had a bunch of first team reps who we'll get into in a little bit. But if you go back to 2019, Julian Love was somebody who, you know, found his way into the slot. He played a lot of slot uh, reps for James Betcher's defense. Speaking of Darius Williams, I mean, this guy's dominating camp, it seems like. I mean, he ran with the first team. He had an interception on a Daniel Jones pass to to Alex Bachman, he had an interception on Daniel Jones pass by undercutting an underneath route, blanketed CJ board on a deep incompletion, just a nine route, which is something that he, I felt like he did well at the college level, covering those nine type of routes. And then he forced an interception that was picked off by Jabril Peppers in 11 on 11 drills. So Rodarius Williams really making a name for himself right now in camp. Yeah, Rodarius Williams is someone who we have to update on our score sheets and look at as somebody who has a really good shot now to make this roster. Yes. I think here's the deal with Rodarius Williams. We it's not that we wrote him off, but we were probably a bit skeptical he could make an impact in year one. I was skeptical he'd even make the roster due to a number of factors. One, the fact that this is a loaded depth chart at the corner position. Two, his age. But I think his age is a big reason why he dropped so far in the draft, and it really hurt his draft stock. But that doesn't really come into play as much anymore. And if he's putting together practices like this with two interceptions, a PBU that led to an interception, blanketing, like carrying vertical and blanketing nine runs, well, you have to think about this. He's running with the first team. And more importantly, he had extensive history at the college level of succeeding in press man coverage. And that's what the Giants want to run a lot more. Patrick Graham said it a few months ago. He said, you have to run more man coverage to win this league. And they didn't run a lot of it last year. And they still had pretty good defense. Well, what could the defense look like if they do run a lot more man coverage? Well, you need guys who can hold up. And so far, he's shown he can. 
At this point, Rodarius Williams, I think, has a leg up on Sam Beal. He has a leg up on pretty much everyone on this depth chart at corner outside of the big guys. Outside of the big guys, yes. And, I mean, I would even say he has a leg up on Isaac Yadam right now. Yes. Just because he's coming here as a rookie and he's just absolutely falling out. You know, I applaud that. Six-round pick, like you said, probably fell a little bit because he was like a 25 – he's a 25-year-old rookie. But uh, I do love that. And the guys have a joint practice with the – the Browns soon, so he's going to get to uh, work with his brother. Which That's is kind cool. Of his younger yeah. brother who was drafted two years before him. And then we also – we're seeing a lot of injuries at this edge position, it seems like, which is pretty darn frustrating. Nico Lalos was rolling with the ones because Ryan Anderson, O'Shane Zimenez, and Ellison Smith are all out. And then another update on that edge group is just Oziz Ojolari is just flashing, according to a lot of the reporters, which is something that we have said was probably going to happen, something that I hope continues to happen because he has a lot of upside. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Lalos is a guy you talked about a lot this offseason. I felt like he was in the right spot at the right time a lot last year, and that's kind of where the hype should have been surrounded by or focused. I don't know how to basically term that. But listen, they're really down bodies at this edge spot. Lorenzo Garter's not working with the team. Uh, Shane Zimenez, like you said, is not working with the team. Ellerson Smith is not working. They're all with trainers. Same with Ryan Anderson. They just don't it's, – it's almost like a flashback to that end of season. Luckily, it's now August. And these getting these, you know, it doesn't matter for these players to be as healthy right now as it will be in a few weeks from now. But it reminds me of the end of the season where they were playing David Mayo for some snaps at edge. And so for me, ultimately, I don't see Lalo's having any kind of impact at the edge spot this season unless there's these four guys remain injured. But having said that, I think he's making a case to be on the roster. Let's take a quick break, though, Nick, to hear to to uh, get in Adam Johnson, who's made a speaker request here. So obviously we want to keep this as a locker room as well. Adam, what's going on, man? Can you hear us? I love that giant shirt. Yeah, it is a cool giant shirt with the red. See, I'm a big red Giants fan. But I feel like I'm in a minority there. You're definitely a minority. Most Giants fans I know hate those red Yeah, jerseys. they hate them. I love them, to be honest. I don't love them, but I don't hate them. Adam, do you love the red Giants jerseys or no? Oh, I love it. You there, Adam? I love it, big time. Oh, see? Yeah, can That's you what hear I'm me? talking about right there. Yeah, we got you, Adam. Can you? Yeah, man, I'm a big, 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 big time, big blue fan. I'm Banter fan. I've been a fan of for a little while. Love listening to you guys. And um, I'm a big Giants fan. And of course, I got my little son, and I'm bringing him up the right way, you know? <laughs> hell yeah adam yo we've been looking forward to speaking to you for a while we've talked a bunch on twitter back and forth i'm happy you finally got a chance to join one of these yeah thanks for the green the green room putting it on um android for a change so that's <laughs> that's cool. oh, that is good <laughs> so um just to piggyback on um on a radarius williams um i think he's making a big time thing for older players don't you guys think to be drafted because he's coming in, like, kind of ready to play. Like, he's way, yeah, I mean, it's a, way, way ahead. It's a great point, Adam. I mean, here's the deal with that. There's been a little change, I would say, a, a shift, a movement over the last few years as analytics have come up with a lot of people pointing to metrics regarding breakout age, when these players break out, how young are they, versus the opposite, which is what you're talking about, like, Assuming, you know, if these players are older and they're dominating 18-year-olds or 7- or 19-year-olds at the collegiate level, they might not be able to translate. And like you said, that's simply not the case right now with Darius Williams. I think it's a storm of things, though, uh, you know, coming into favor for him. He played – he he basically – his skill set translates really well, I think, to what Patrick Graham wants to do on this defense. And so he's stepping in right away with a bit of an edge there. And, you know, guys like Yidem, guys like on the back end like Sam Beal – 
they're for the most part unproven. Yadam had some solid snaps last year for them in zone coverage, but they don't want to be a team that plays primar- uh, predominantly zone. So I think it's a nice string of events coming into play here. Nick, what's your thoughts on this? No, yeah, I, I can see that. And honestly, with Rodarius Williams, and he's had an excellent camp, when I watched his Oklahoma State film, like, I didn't love him in man coverage on those horizontal breaking routes kind of. I feel like he's a little bit high-hipped, long-levered, which is a good thing in terms of, like, pressing and jamming at the line of scrimmage. I always felt like he was much better vertically. But, I mean, he undercut – I mean, I, I don't have my eyes on anything that's happening right now. But he did undercut an in type of route. On, it might have been an undercall. I'm not really 100% sure. And he picked off, which obviously is something that you're moving, you know, horizontally. So that's definitely a good sign. But I'm not seeing it, so it's hard to really uh, – see if he's taken growth and strides to, with coaching with his man coverage per se, because I wasn't in love with his man coverage at Oklahoma state, right. but for a six round pick, I thought it was valuable. Cool. Cool. I appreciate you guys, man, for letting me on, man. Keep up the good yeah, work. Man, join us. I'll be listening. Yeah. Keep joining us anytime, man. It's good to finally talk to you. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Have a good one, Adam. Take care, Adam. Be well, bro. So, yeah. So, uh, we got to move on to some more depressing news. Dan, I don't think we've touched on this yet, but Levine Toy Lolo, he tore his Achilles, which is terrible. And we're not the biggest Levine Toy Lolo fans or anything like that from his play on the field, but that's something that you never want to see whatsoever. And uh, he actually had a pretty solid role last year. He played 38% of the special team snaps, played 276 offensive snaps, which was about 27% of the giant snaps last year. So it's very unfortunate for him because he's an older type of player. And this is usually, you know, almost a death sentence for players who are older, unless your name is Emmanuel Sanders. So it sucks. But Thomas McGahey uh, spoke on how much he's going to be missed. He said, Levine is a great man. He shows up every day, ready to work. His leadership he provides being that quiet type of leader. Guys follow him by example, him working his tail off every day. And he just has this presence in the room. When you lose a guy like that, it's hard to replace the leadership part of it. So that sucks to hear. And also Raymond Johnson walked off today uh, with trainers for what that's worth as well. Yeah, a few more injuries that have been going down in camp. I mean, it's a physical camp. These are going to happen. Obviously, feel bad for Levine. He's obviously, you know, as McGee said, he's a great man. He's a great leader. Ultimately, I don't think this is going to hurt the Giants really negative at all to me. I didn't, unfortunately, you know, you look at the tape and Levine was just not a good blocker. You think with that frame, he should be a great blocker, but Caden Smith was a better blocker than Levine Toy Lolo in different, 2020. Different roles for sure, but yes, yeah, Caden Smith was much more effective. But I'm wondering, and I wanted to ask you this, Dan, do you think they're going to carry four tight ends still? Because this, they, you know, Jason Garrett loves that 13 personnel. Right. You know, they can plug them in, uh, plug that tight end, bigger body, usually typically somewhat athletic. You can use them on special teams in a variety of different ways. This could open up a spot for someone like a Rice and John or a player like, uh, you know, what is it, Tommy Stevens, the kid who was a Mississippi State uh, quarterback. Could open up a spot for somebody or somebody who's cut off a ni- another 90-man roster. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, listen, Jason Garrett loves his tight ends. There's no denying it. Uh, I don't share those same thoughts with Garrett. I think the way to maximize your offense these days is through more 11 personnel. But again, this is what he likes. And so I think you're right. There could be somebody on his radar, potentially. I would, I would think more likely a cut than like Tommy Stevens making the roster. I don't think they need another Tommy Stevens type. I think they would look for more of a Levine Toy Lolo type, a big body who can block and kind of just like serve a specific role for the, the plays where they have him on the field for. Um, but we'll have to see what happens there. I always liked tight ends like Lee Smith. Yeah. Guys who just look like they just drink a six pack, get on the football field, yeah. and they just dominate at the point of attack. Yeah, those yeah. always those always been Nick Filato type guys. 
But uh, then we also have, and we'll probably close out shortly after this, just more David Sills hype, man. More David Sills hype. We had Joe Judge uh, say a pretty uh, – spoke confidently about David Sills. He said, quote, this guy's commitment off the field in terms of what he's done in the offseason, basically this guy followed Daniel Jones around the country. Wherever Daniel was, he was going to be there to catch passes. That's someone who you can tell has really invested in himself to give every shot he has. Last season in terms of him being on the IR, I mean, that was unfortunate, but the message is he has to stay positive. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, listen, Sills is having a dominant camp. We'll see what happens. Is he the next Victor Cruz? I doubt it. Victor Cruz had a suddenness in and out of his breaks that made him such a special player. And really, it was a unique trait that made him one of the better receivers in the NFL at the time. I don't really see any unique traits when I watch Sills. I do see a player who's working hard, doing a good job using his body to box out defenders, and is pretty good at the catch point. That's solid. I also think Austin Mack has that skill set as well, though. And so I don't. if you don't have a unique trait, I'm not so sure as a UDFA type you're going to break through and make a big impact on this roster. But I did want to talk about another receiver, actually, John Ross, who ran a really good route today, burned his coverage on a vertical, and that's the type of thing you want to see. But unfortunately, Jones threw a terrible, according to beat reports, threw a terribly underthrown pass that hung in the air, and I think it was either intercepted or, or broken up. Um, I like Ross. I think he's making a strong impact already. I think he can add actually something to this offense. But I'm not going to say I'm concerned about anything I read with Daniel Jones. But did you want to talk a little bit about Jones right now in camp? Because it doesn't seem like he's having the greatest training camp right now. See, it seems like every practice is different. Sometimes the offense sucks which we have heard like twice. And then sometimes there was a one day where he was, you know, elite, they said, the offense, where the offense was able to kind of get the advantage on the defense. We're still really early in camp, and I'm not seeing it with my eyes. Right. So I'm not going to – It is tough from that standpoint. Like, for all I know, John Ross could have, you know, ran the wrong route or something like that, and he was supposed to bend or something. Like, I just just don't know, so I don't really want to overreact to it at the moment. Yeah, I, I mean, from what I read, I don't think he ran the wrong route. I think he just got open deep and the ball hung and was underthrown. That's not something that's new. I mean, Daniel Zone's thrown a lot of passes on those deep routes, specifically later in the year, December months, like last year versus Philly. I remember the ball to Sterling Shepard. Oh, 2019? Oh, yeah, it was 2019, yeah. correct. Yeah, that, happened, that happened a lot in 2019. Yeah. Uh, the Green Bay game as well. Right. He threw three picks in that game, but that was also a snow game. So right. Have to of course, but Rodgers was throwing dimes in that game. Yeah, so it just Rogers. gives you an idea. But, but yeah. that's what you're – it's kind of what I'm looking for, arm talent. You know, yeah. there are guys with that kind of arm talent in the NFL that are making it. Yeah, good. I don't think Daniel Jones is necessarily one of them. And I don't think we've ever led that astray. I think he has solid arm talent, but you talk about elite type guys I and mean, elite traits. It's not something Daniel Jones necessarily has. No, he, def- he definitely doesn't have really any in my mind from the elite trait standpoint. I guess ball placement is close, but... It was it was worse, so much worse than last year. It is I find it so odd how his ball placement went so far downhill last year on the underneath and the and the in breaking routes. It felt like in twenty nineteen he was putting the and it might just be a product of the I'm curious your thoughts on this. We can wrap up with this and then get to one more question from Rohan actually. But from when I just overall perspective, thinking back, I was looking at some some stuff I wrote in our show notes, like in just like our all twenty two notes. And I don't know if this is because of the system Shermer ran with a lot of those mesh routes and a lot of those just like kind of man beaters. And maybe it was also because of how teams played Daniel Jones in 2019 versus 2020 with more man coverage that helped him. But it felt like the ball placement on those underneath routes was just so much worse last season. Specifically, I, looking back on a lot of those slants where he tried to hit in-breaking routes to Slate and the ball was behind him or the ball was kind of thrown in this position where the defensive back could make a PBU on it, could pop it up into the air. 
I just felt like the ball placement really waned last season. I'm curious if you felt like that was the same from 2019 to 2020. Uh, I'm not going to say that, to be honest. And there were some times where I was watching the film and I watched a lot of Daniel Jones um, relatively recently. And I did see like off like the the ends of, or the um, the top view, mm-hmm. the first view on, on game yeah. pass. I would see, oh, wow, that ball's a little bit behind. And then I'd watch from the end zone view and it's like, I think he might have did that on purpose because that curl flat defender was shooting down to the right. flat and he had to like kind of put it on the back shoulder of Darius Lane. But there were times where he missed. There were times where he missed deep. There were times where he missed the intermediate. There were times where he missed short. And that's every quarterback does that. But I didn't necessarily see a huge dip from that standpoint from 2019 to 2020. And it might have just been the systems and me just – it just looked better with Shermer. Yeah, yeah. Um, but who knows? I, I, Daniel Jones to me remains a very big question mark. I yeah, think. I, th- I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah, and I'm hoping he can take a step forward. But there's a lot of things that need to improve. And when we'll talk about that more as the season rolls on. Uh, let's get to Rohan's question before we before we uh, jump off. Rohan, you there with us? Yep, I am. I don't know if you guys can hear me. Yeah, we can hear you. Can you hear us? Yep. All right. Hey, good to talk to you guys again this week. Yeah, man, it's been fun. Yeah, bro. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I had a quick question for you. You know, Hall of Fame uh, week this week, and I was wondering, um, I initially thought it was silly, but I was wondering how long before you think a podcaster gets into the, the Hall of Fame. And I, I initially, when I thought about it, I thought it was a joke, but I'm thinking more such, so much more media consumption is through podcasts and things like locker rooms. I mean, I've, I've fully gone from, from watching things on ESPN and NFL during the off season to now just consuming podcasts. So I wonder how long before that happens. It's a great question. And first of all, we're, we're happy that you have made that transition. We've always, I, I don't want to speak for Nick, but I've always felt, this is Dan speaking, I've always felt that ESPN does a really poor job of kind of informing the, the types of fans like you, Rohan, who want to know the why, the how and the why, instead of just the what that's happening in the NFL or any sport for that matter. And so I'm glad that like there are niche podcasts now and there are niche media delivery you know vessels that can interpret that and so as far as when does a podcaster get in it certainly won't be us though we are we're happy with what we're doing but maybe like a bill simmons or joe rogan i think those would probably be the first two that might make it but uh as far as like the nfl hall of fame i'm not sure i think it's probably a whole separate uh you know area but who knows rohan yeah that was a really interesting question i just second everything that dan said but who knows dan maybe the giants will want to bring us in one day well that's all bring them on yeah Probably not if we talk unless we start saying nice things about Dave Gettleman. Yeah, yes. yes. <laughs> no, nah, just kidding. Is that all? You, is that all you have, Ron? No, I mean, I, I thought it was uh, interesting, you know, watching the the Hall of Fame stuff. I, I don't know if you guys, you know, if if you have someone from the Hall of Fame week this week that you're especially um, happy about getting in um, to Canton. Um, just I don't know if you had any thoughts um, on that. No, not not necessarily for me. I mean, a lot of them are kind of like, you know, I, I expected it, Peyton Manning. Yeah. yeah, I would say it's cool to see Peyton get in. I've always been a fan of Peyton throughout his entire career. Even before Eli joined the Giants, he's just my kind of quarterback, my kind of football player. Um, love how he, he could see the field, man. I mean, a lot of it was study. A lot of it was him putting time film-wise, but a lot of it was natural, too. He saw the film so well post-snap. I mean, you look at Peyton Manning even coming into the NFL, and that's kind of why Gil Brandt made the original comparison, which was obviously hyperbole from a massive standpoint, but he compared watching Daniel Jones on film in college to watching Peyton Manning on film. And I see, and it's hyperbole, but I see where he's coming from in the standpoint of like, 
Peyton Manning never had unbelievable arm talent. He did not have the arm of Brett Favre. He did not have the arm of Aaron Rodgers. He didn't even have Tom Brady's arm. Tom Brady has much more velocity on the short and intermediate breaking routes than Peyton ever had. But Peyton had incredible anticipation and he saw the field really well. And so I'm just, I, I think he was able to kind of work his butt off to become the quarterback he was. So I'm, I'm that, that, that would be my choice, Peyton. Yeah, and that's like that, like, when you think about everyone getting in right now, I think Peyton Manning would be the first one that comes to your mind. And then probably either Charles Woodson or Calvin Johnson. And then you have guys like John Lynch as well, who's still doing stuff. But like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good class. It's a good class. Actually in the no comment section from Mason, who says, uh, he's curious about what happened with Austin Ryder. Was there supposed to be a deal there? I think the deal with Ryder is this, the Giants didn't sign him at the time because they felt good about having Joe Looney on the roster. They felt good about having Zach Fulton on the roster. Now, with the depth collapsing as it is, with Looney retiring, with Fulton also retiring, I think that Ryder will be brought back in, and I think the deal will probably come soon for Austin Ryder with the Giants. I would guess that. That's what I'm going to imagine. As long as his workout went well and everything checked out, and they just wanted to go with Joe Looney because he was you know, more familiar with Jason Garrett and whatnot. No doubt. All right, one more speaker request, then we're going to wrap this up. It's Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, you yeah. got a little stuff going on in the background, but how you doing, my friend? Oh, how you doing? My fault. I'm just leaving work. All good, dude. Yeah, that's the noise behind me. No worries. Uh, I just worries. got a question, because you guys, uh, in some earlier pods, you guys would talk about who was going to be, like, the third down back and stuff like that. And I was thinking... What are some of the pros and cons to having, like, split back at a shotgun? Because I feel like, let's say you have Saquon at one and either, I don't know, Corey Clement or maybe Kadarius Tony even on the other one. I feel like that type of formation gives you a lot of opportunity to run things like RPOs. You can obviously throw bubble screens to either of them. They can both take a handoff. Uh, I mean, personally, it gets guys like Evan Ingram off the field which I would personally like in those situations, not to take a unwarranted shot, but obviously I'd rather have Kadarius Tony running around, uh, you know, than Evan Ingram or whatever the case is. Uh, what are some of the pros and cons to that type of thing? That's something I actually just got done writing about a little bit in the Jason Garrett article, uh, just about uh, yeah, yeah, just about uh, how losing – more two personnel out of shotgun because it can help that RPO game. It can help the zone read. You can also flare somebody out. Say if you do zone read, you're typically looking to the side of the running back. You're going into the mesh point, but you can still possibly, if Daniel Jones can quickly glance to the say left, have that left running back run a flare, see if that outside linebacker, you could read him, but it's going to be very, very difficult for him because he has to really zone in on the, the front side of the, of the play, I guess you could say, but I, personally like the idea of using that because I feel like you can gain an advantage on just from an athletic standpoint. You can have Saquon Barkley, Kadarius, Tony out there athletically. That is, you know, a souped up type of uh, backfield where you can run vertical routes if the blocking were to hold up, but you'd probably want to keep a tight end in the blocks. You don't want just a five man protection package, but you can run wheels and things along those lines. And I also think you can incorporate Daniel Jones's athletic ability to a solid degree and honestly thinking about this and i know i don't think the giants would ever incorporate this imagine like some kind of crazy weird like option game 
where like Daniel Jones goes into the zone read and then the running back that's not entering the mesh point goes around in sort of like an orbit motion and then attach, basically attaches with Daniel Jones. If Daniel Jones doesn't hand the football off, he, he can, can keep, keep it, it and yeah. he can option it. And that's some college football type of stuff. But I just feel like you can get very, very creative. But when you do that and you have two running backs in the backfield, defense is going to tighten up a little bit and there's going to be a little bit more people in the box. So the defenses are going to play you differently if you also have a, you know, a joint backfield like that. So there's kind of uh, a few different things to consider. Yeah, I love it, John. I love the idea of it. And I love the question. This is a great question. When I, a few years ago, you know, pines to get, to get, um, I forget his name, Joe Moorhead in his Giants offensive coordinator instead of Jason Garrett. A lot of it was because I love the offense he ran at Penn State with Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley. And I thought a lot of those same concepts could carry over and present something different for defense at the NFL level with Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. Now, you add Kadarius Tony to the mix with the split back, those are you saying. Now you just have more guys for the defense to have to keep their eyes on. More guys that have to focus on where are they moving before the snap? Where are they moving after the snap? Are you going to go there with the football? Are you going to keep the football like you mentioned with Daniel Jones and hand it to Barkley? Or are you going to pull it, take a couple steps into your drop and rip a ball out to Kenny Galladay or whoever is on the outside? Just once again, it's kind of like the pre-snap motion we've discussed. It's just a lot more misdirection and a lot more getting the defense to think and account for more things on a given snap than when you traditionally just line up like Garrett tended to do a lot in 2020 in 12 or 13 or even 11 personnel with no, you know, no bunch formations of the receivers and just kind of run your routes out, whether it be the four curls to the sticks or whatever it would be. So, yeah, I would agree with you, man. I'd love to see it. We'll see if it happens. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just defer to always believing it when I see it when it comes to Jason Garrett. To be completely honest with you, I still need to be proven, you know, differently in a lot of different ways there. Um, Chop Chop has a quick question. What do you see Kadarius Tony's ceiling as? Can he be a wide receiver one? A wide receiver one? I mean, I'm never going to say he can't, but he has to learn probably quite a bit to to get to that level. But there have been plenty of people like Tyree Kill, for instance, who started out as, you know, more of a gadget type of player and then really kind of developed his ability to run routes and defeat man coverage and you know, refine kind of those little nuances of playing receiver. So I think there's a possibility of that happening. I would hope there's a possibility of that happening. You spent a first round pick on this guy, but as of right now, he still has uh, quite a ways to go just from a development standpoint, but we're talking about we're two weeks in a training camp of his rookie season. So let's just be patient. Yeah. Tyreek's the great example of a wide receiver who didn't really have the skill set to be a wide receiver one and now has created it. And I think Tony has a very, not similar skill set, but in a lot of ways, can also become that wide receiver one with, you know, him hitting his ceiling. This is not a guarantee. He has such a wide range of outcomes. But yeah. his skill set to me is somebody who can eventually turn into an excellent route runner with how he gets in and out of break so smoothly and with his explosiveness transitioning his body, to, you know, depending on what the route may be, not make a 90-degree cut here, break toward the outside, break toward the inside, double moves, things of that nature. There's a long way to go, but that's the ceiling. I don't think his ceiling is anything lower. Um, you know, and you might say, you know, some of these other guys who were selected after him, you might say, okay, what's the ceiling for a player like Rondell Moore? Or what's the ceiling for a player, you know, even later, let's say, um, trying to think of come up, some other guys, Diami Brown, some, some of these later receiver drafted, even a Josh Palmer type, like, I'm not so sure he could potentially be a wide receiver one, but there is that ceiling for Tony. All right, we're going to wrap up there. It's been a long one. Thank you all for tuning in. Expect more of these training camp locker rooms in the future. And I'll, as always, join into the uh, tune into the podcast. We got a really good one coming next week with Matt Harmon, who breaks down wide receiver film. He's going to talk about every single wide receiver on the Giants roster. Otherwise, have a great rest of your weekend, and we will talk to you soon.